0: hey what's up mr bill here before you listen to this podcast just wanted to plug my dates uh january 17th i'm playing in montreal 18th i'm playing in providence 24th detroit 25th phoenix 31st denver and february 1st in orlando and as always remember to go rate comment and subscribe on apple podcasts because it really helps us in some way apparently even though i don't fully understand how that works all right thanks enjoy the podcast all right man welcome to the mr bill podcast hey it's been it's about
1: time it's been a long time coming i'm stoked to be here
0: yeah we've been meaning to do this for a minute hold on just getting levels here i think that's probably good yeah sick yeah how's how's things life is great man
1: i'm really really excited about the new year uh i'm I always geek out on New Year's resolutions and stuff. And, uh, you know, last year I was doing timer beats every day, which was pretty crazy. I did like over 100 timer beats, which is a lot. Um, And then um, this year, my New Year's resolution is every Tuesday I'm going on an input fast and I'm not allowing any incoming phone calls or checking my email or going on Reddit or anything like that. And I want to have something new that I can play out in my set every so Tuesday. And I figure if, that, if I have 52 new things for my set, maybe not all of them be released, but definitely 52 new
0: things for the set. I so think. have you got two new things this year so far?
1: Uh, well, I actually, I was, uh, I was traveling on Tuesday last uh, week. you so, already fucked up. Um, but I info, did right? make a new finger drumming routine. So I have one new finger drumming routine. Nice. And then um, I think this week I'm going to have to uh, make a little VIP or something to catch up.
0: Yeah, I did that um in 2017. I was like, oh, I'm going to try and make a beat every single day. Like, not something playable or finished or anything. Just I wanted to spend, like, two to three hours on music every day. Yeah. And I did it for about three months. And then it was, out of that is where I got the Apophenia album. It was like, I made it all.
1: Yeah, so. it's great. Like, I was uh, the, for the whole, um like, last year I did, I think, like, uh, I didn't tell, I mean, until July before I was just like, oh God, I can't do it every day. But I mean, you have that, to
0: give up a lot of other
1: shit to be able to do it every day. Yeah. It was pretty intense, and especially having a kid, you know, yeah. with the new baby. It was like, I would start to feel like a little bit, uh, guilty if, uh, if I wasn't helping with
0: the baby morning stuff, the the morning stuff, what what
1: happens? Well, it's just, you, you know, we've got dogs and a baby and breakfast to make and dogs to walk and all that stuff. So it's like, you gotta, you know. You gotta be a good dad. Get in there in the morning.
0: Yeah. A responsible sense. husband and father. Yeah. Um, so actually when I was doing it for the first three months of uh 2017, I went on tour with Beats Antique for like two weeks and I didn't really get a lot done in those two weeks. And then when I came back to catch up, I did timer beats for yeah. like I think I did uh I was like, oh fuck, I gotta catch up like 14 days. So I think I did like six or so timer beats every day for like three Damn, days. Damn, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, you should explain timer beats because I think like a lot of people listening probably don't. Know okay, what they
1: cool. Are. So, um, you know, uh, timer beats are, you know, it's, but well, basically, when you're doing pretty much any task in life, they'll swell to fill whatever amount of resources, whether it's time or money or whatever that is allotted to that task. It'll just like
0: take all of it. Because that's how much you've allotted to, to it, right? So, like the the idea is like allot only a certain amount of stuff to any given task at the start of the task, and therefore it will never exceed that amount because you've decided beforehand that it won't.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, when you kind of have it, when things are open ended, like if you if you send someone to one of those writers retreats where you go to a writer's retreat and there's a bunch of other writers and the goal is to like finish a short story by the end of the weekend, you'll get a short story done. right? But if you take that same author and you say, hey, you know, write the great American novel by the time you die, they'll still be penning edits on their deathbed, you know? Mm -hmm. And creative acts especially fall prey to this because what is done... You know, yeah, when, yeah. when it's, it's very ambiguous. Exactly. And there's there's no, you know, it's a subjective domain. There's no such thing as perfection. And then there's this tendency like when you work on something again and again and again and again and you look at it again and again, you might become numb to what's working about it. And then your ears become so starved for novelty because of the repetition of working on the same thing again and again and again that anything new and different from what you've been doing sounds better when it's maybe not actually a good idea to take your process on this t- new tangent. Mm-hmm. So uh, timer beats or time boxing is basically where you allot yourself a very specific amount of time to accomplish you know, wh- whatever your task is. Making Maybe it's a track in a day, maybe it's a beat in an hour, maybe it's a beat in half an hour. Um, and I like to kind of further subdivide um you know I'm, I'm my goal is like not just making a beat in a half hour but breaking into these five minute stages and uh i would and have how many done a bunch of them uh a bunch of different sets of five minute stages and i have this recipe that i call the magic half hour uh and this magic half hour uh, I accomplish using an app called Seconds Pro that they're not paying me to promote.
0: This is just an app and that's that like I a like. fitness timer, right?
1: Yeah, it's a fitness timer. You can you can subdivide the uh, you can subdivide the individual stages and give them names. And then there's settings where you can get a halfway alert on each stage, and you can have the robot lady tell you what to do. And these are the five stages. So what I'll do is I always start with one sound that I call the face and this is like the main idea sound this would be like you know um the kind of title concept of it so uh for example when we we're at the hospital uh having our 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 baby uh we we're watching all these parenting kind of psas and parenting videos and there was this one called never shake a baby that was <laughs> fucking hysterical. And oh, it's got this guy and he's like being a new parent is the most magical time of your life, but there may be times that you become frustrated <laughs> and you might do something you regret. <laughs> Never ever. Shake a baby with these like big long pauses the fact
0: like, that that video exists though kind of <laughs> means that someone
1: i can see why people shake babies as of being a new dad i can definitely see i can see how it happens our baby's not a big screamer but there are definitely times because they like being jiggled and bounced
0: okay right that shuts
1: them up you know like right. uh, and uh, and we've all heard the story about the drunken uncle throwing the baby up and down in the air and going like, wee wee, and the baby loves it and then they're drunk and they drop the baby on their head and Oof. they cause all the, you know. So I could definitely see how it happens. Uh, but yeah, so I was like, okay, I'm going to remix the Never Shake a Baby PSA for mm-hmm. this one and I did it. So phase one is where you take the face sample which and, is
0: basically like the the memorable thing, right? Like if you were to explain it to somebody else, you're like, oh, it's the song with this thing in it.
1: Yes, the most memorable thing that would you know the title, concept, or you know it could be a riff that the whole track's going to be based around that. But it's so like, like as, as an example,
0: Zero. if I were to say like um like Skrillex, like scary monsters and nice sprites, like what would you say the faces of that?
1: Um, well. There's the melodies, like the video gamey kind of melodies of it, mm-hmm. um, that if you're going to play it on like a piano, that's the part you'd pay. Play. Right, like but if, if you're going
0: to like remix it, that, that'd be the thing you'd take and then re-harmonize Yeah, or, and
1: then you'd make a new drop for it. And it right. would still be Scary Monsters. But I think the thing that most people recognize
0: about it is the growls and the drop. Dude, so if you listen to the growls in that drop now, 10 years later, they're so fucking bad. Oh, come on, they're still fine. No. <laughs> when
1: you're, was the you're last a snob. time it's still it's still on track tracks.
0: When was the last time you listened to it?
1: And, and you were you were making this argument at my house and we listened to it in the studio. And <laughs> you know, I mean, right, it doesn't have the most stereo image like pe- people do now. The drums yeah. are a little dull. It sounds very
0: dated. It sounds a little. I dirty. remember it sounds extremely dated in my opinion, but I remember listening to it at the time it Dude, came son, out. He's going to give you a wedgie next time you see him. Sick. Yeah, <laughs> I'll uh, give you a wedgie. make an Instagram boomerang out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all
1: right. So, hey, anyway, before we before we got sidetracked, I was going to give people the magic timer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, step one is where you take the the face and you chop it up onto drum pads. Okay. And th- this is I I love doing this MPC style sequencing where you're using drum pads to sequence melodies or to sequence drum chops or is there sorry to sequence sample chops. So step 1 is chop the samples onto the drum pads. Step 2 is make some sequences. You make four or more sequences out of the out of the just the sample.
0: So the First five minutes is drum pad chopping, second five minutes is make sequences?
1: Yeah, but you're not adding drums, you're not adding anything. Like, like Mm -hmm. let's say your sample says drop the bass. Okay. You'd want to make four different uh, sections, basically four different patterns out of it that are very distinctly different, they're rhythmically different. So the first one might be like, Mm -hmm. drop the bass, Mm -hmm. drop the bass with like big holes. The second one might be like, drop, 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 The the bass, 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 bass. The third one might be a buildup. up. might go, drop, 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 drop. So by the time you've
0: done these four patterns, you're 10 minutes in.
1: Yeah. And then those four patterns serve as the basis. So then the third step is add drums and subs. The fourth step is find your riffs. So you'd want to find some new riffs that don't come from a sample. The fifth step is to make it drop. And then the, f- the sixth and final step is arrange and automate. And then you have it set up so that the robot lady goes... Chop samples for five minutes. Make some sequences for five minutes. Right. Add drums and subs for five minutes. Find your riffs for five minutes. Make it drop for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Arrange and automate for five minutes.
0: So wait, so to arrange the entire song, you spend as much time on that as you do on making a pattern with drum pads?
1: Yes. Yeah, basically I, I do everything in session view. Mm -hmm. um and i'm jamming and there's all these ideas and then on the last stage i hit record and i'm just triggering the scenes and then i'm playing the automation in as i'm doing it It so maybe there's filter automations or whatever you can go check it out on my youtube there's uh, there's like a playlist of me doing like a to a hundred timer beats and you can watch me do it but i do all of the first five steps in the session view and then the sixth and final step i play in only the best scenes and then I'll, you know, I'll do like little glitch edits and beat repeats and filter sweeps and stuff just on a MIDI controller while I'm recording in the scenes.
0: Nice. Yeah. And um, so when you have students and you teach them this method, do you usually tell them to take your timer thing or do you yeah well body? i teach
1: some i teach some different recipes you know like because there's different ways of starting uh and then i have different timers for the different recipes um you know like there's uh, like the the melodic build-up recipe you know guys made famous by like people like dead mouse or tiesto or um you know uh um porter robinson they'll have these tracks where there'll be like midi chords and like you know, then uh, leads and things come in and there's this like a long incremental melodic buildup into the drop, right? That's like a very kind of classic workflow. A lot of the time people would start with the chords and then build the melodies from there, et etc., et cetera, et cetera. Um, There's the sample based workflow, which is the one that I just had the timer on. And that's like, you know, let's say you're making an NPC style beat. You go to like tracklib.com, shouts out to Tracklib and you find a, a record that you can... So, tra-
0: yeah, Tracklib is... Uh, they've basically gone and cleared a shitload of records for people to use, right? So, you, you pay, like, what, a, a subscription fee or a no, license? No, you
1: pay right? two bucks for the wave file, uh-huh. and then you remix the wave file, and then if you decide you want to release it, they've pre-negotiated the license, and you can, you know, some tracks will be a $30 license, some tracks will be a $100 license, uh, but you just license it, and then you can use that sample, and you don't have to give any credit or anything, and it's just, like, nice. yours to use. So um you know so the so that's
0: really great if you're like a beat maker hip-hop mpc kind of person dude i listened to a podcast about this these kids who make beats and like i think one of them got picked up by fucking old town road or some shit like one of the biggest tracks that's ever happened i can't remember exactly what the punchline of the whole podcast was but it sounded like a pretty intense thing to do like the i think in the end the guy who made the beat didn't get paid that much and the track had like a hundred million plays on spotify or yeah, like that.
1: yeah, it depends. It depends. Yeah, the whole beat making and beat selling scene, like when you're licensing beats, that's a whole uh, that's a whole other world. I haven't really delved into that world. I just yeah. like
0: making beats because it's a fun way. Well, to Well, it work. seems like you just make a shitload of beats and then put them on a website, and they just either get bought or they don't, right? Yeah, and it seems like- yeah,
1: and then it's like a one shot license. Like you, you know, if you sell the beat, like you know, there might be one. Like you might pay two bucks just to download it. And then you might pay, it might be like 50 bucks for a non-exclusive license and then like 500 bucks for an exclusive license.
0: Yeah. That to me, like, I don't know. So one thing Warren Buffett said, which is something I agree with a lot, he said, if you can't figure out how to make money while you sleep, then you'll work until you die. Yes. Because there's a
1: very important difference between selling your time mm -hmm. and making money.
0: Totally. And I I feel like with beat making, they literally just sell their time.
1: Yeah, but it's like you know, it's a good start if you're looking to, just you know, you you moment. don't have to be a well-known producer to get into that scene, and you can just start and start getting paid and start making money as a musician. So a lot of people, um, you know, it's a great way to start getting
0: paid. You know, yeah, they just see it as like, oh, sweet, I can just like start working and making money doing yeah, music.
1: Yeah, he's working at McDonald's, and yeah, that's it's true. a good stepping stone to larger things. You can make contacts and stuff. So. You know, I mean, because I mean, not everybody, not everybody can sell out a show. Yeah, it is pretty hard to sell out a show, to be honest. Yeah. you need to get an agent
0: and a manager and you need to grind it out for years, usually. Dude, it's tough. I mean, like, yeah, like both of us, I've been grinding now on shows. I, I was thinking about this today. I was like, fuck, when was my first show? And I think it was over 10 years ago now. I think I've been doing shows for more than ten years at this point. Yeah, yeah, it takes
1: a while. It doesn't happen overnight, and you got to get your ass handed to you you, like tons of
0: times. Right, and like you've been doing it for fucking even since I was a kid, man. Longer than me, like probably yeah. I was like I was DJing gigs when I was like fucking thirteen. Yeah, so you've been doing this shit for like two decades. I've been doing it for a little over one decade, and we're still playing a show tonight to what, like a three hundred and fifty cap room. Uh I used to
1: film more, so I think it's a little bigger than that. Four fifty maybe. Yeah. Should be good. We did we did pretty good on ticket sales too. So I think it'll,
0: it'll be Yeah, good. I think
1: I think it'll be good. I'm excited for it. And also we uh um uh, because we got um DJ Shakey and Alexandra opening from the producer dojo, uh we have a rule at the producer dojo that if there are three or more dojo artists, it counts as a dojo showcase, and we can use the full producer dojo mailing list. Nice. So we did a full producer dojo mailing list blast. Sick. So that's that should awesome. be good. I mean, we we only did it today though because they got added really last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, But that's still a pretty big mailing list. I think that mailing list is like eighty or ninety thousand people. Damn. How so. many?
0: Wait, you send it to everyone even if they're not from Philly the full producer dojo list. Yeah, because it's not just, segmented. Ah, uh, true. I mean, some of it is segmented. Some of the <laughs> older
1: older email addresses. Wouldn't but, it
0: be like 99% of those people though are getting an email that's not relevant?
1: Um, yes and no because it's uh it's good because we're promoting producer dojo artists and True. We're also letting people know that,
0: you know, when you put in your work at the dojo, that that's something you can earn. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good you know? point. Um, you should explain the producer dojo because I feel like that's oh a yeah cool concept. totally.
1: Yeah. Well, also there's there's some like, some other some more recipes. There's like a bunch more recipes that that IT yeah people can go students, find people one. people can figure that Thank out you. too. There, there are there are lots of
0: other recipes. It's not just those two. And people um, should okay, be so, like encouraged to like make their own. I feel like to, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, I feel totally. like. When I did it, I just figured, like, what I did is I thought about how I write a song, and then I was like, uh, how would I break that down into six or seven five-minute steps? Yeah. And I think I made some steps longer. I think I made some, like, ten minutes and some two minutes. Oh, yeah, Yeah. I changed them. I have, like, dozens and dozens of different timers. Yeah, rather than just, like, segmenting every bit into five minutes, I made, like, the arrangement bit, for instance, like, longer than, say, making a kick drum, because I can make a kick drum pretty quick now or whatever.
1: Yeah, and then sometimes I'll have steps that are just, like freeform steps like I'll have a free form step that's just like add some more stuff right yeah. <laughs> you know yeah just do something yeah that's so uh, it depends or or tidy up can be a good step yeah you know? um but yeah so uh anyway so the producer dojo uh is basically a kind of coaching community that I created uh out of just necessity um because I was really like I, I've been teaching workshops and stuff for a long time and Then eventually it got to the point where I had this like body of work that was just way too much to sell as individual products and way too much for people to digest without like someone to kind of help them go through it. And um, you know, I wanted to create some kind of a membership uh, site where you know people there would be a community aspect and that there would be people who were really familiar with all of my material helping people who were less
0: familiar with my material so what way through it what material was this because I I remember like um you had the ill methodology thing which was like one of the popular videos going around on the internet back. yeah
1: I had three different ill methodology workshops there's a book I wrote there's a uh, ton of templates it started with the templates at the beginning like doing dj templates and studio templates and rack packs and the infinite drum rack blew up too and then uh the 128s technique and the, some sound packs that i made with the montoban and kj and like mixing and mastering templates and all this stuff and it just got to be uh got to be too much for anybody to uh anybody to really digest all at once and i also like you know, so I was like, okay, well, I, I knew I didn't want to create a school because I think the whole idea of like a school, like granting diplomas and stuff
0: is a bit where well, you have to get accredited then and stuff, which is difficult. well, and it's also
1: like, you know, if, if like because you, you get these people who graduate from music schools and they got their diploma, but they're not finishing music right and it's like what are you yeah. gonna go follow your diploma on soundcloud like that's not how well, any of that works
0: some people go to music school for different reasons you know like some people go there and then become an acoustician or something yeah that's cool but i'm i wasn't really into training acousticians you know i was yeah, trying yeah. to train
1: people how to how to fucking kill it you know how to write how to write awesome tracks and play shows and mm-hmm. you know i mean because that's like when i was getting into electronic music i wanted to do that and i was looking at all these shows and talking to people who are schools and talking to all these people who went to all these schools and you know, a lot of them would be like, yeah, I finished the school, but I still can't write tracks. I still don't have any fans. I still like, you know, or like you'd go to school cause you'd want to learn how to make electronic music. And then there'd be like, you'd have to do like a whole course on like miking drum kits and coiling cables and stuff before they'd even start teaching
0: you about synthesizers.
1: Right. And it's just like, everybody has a different path. Everybody has different yeah. needs.
0: That was like SAE when I went there. I was, um, I mean I was mostly interested in electronic music but I was like I'll go do SAE just to get like more well-rounded knowledge of music or audio engineering in general. And um yeah most of the shit we did was like pretty theoretical rather than practical. Yeah. And then most of the practical stuff that we did was band related. It wasn't electronic related. We had one uh unit which was um film sound which was kind of useful I guess. Well, you, you mm-hmm. used that you use that well, not really, because I did. Come oh, to is, it, is it is like micing like like for film like, sound up like, booms and shit. No, it was like um, you know, take the assignment for that unit was take a um, like a video from the pool of videos that they had and just oh re- like foley, yeah, and replace all the sound. It wasn't just foley; it was like foley Are you doing
1: ADR too.
0: Yeah, and ambience. ADR and is like where just, you replace the dialogue. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it was just all that shit. So that was somewhat electronic music related I guess because it was like a lot of editing and layering and stuff but it was all in Pro Tools yeah and I think we had one electronic music unit so that was like the two units that were sort of relevant to
1: totally and then you end up paying like fucking 40 grand
0: and 55,000 Australian dollars
1: yeah and then you got to set aside like year of your life where you're not doing anything else and you're paying rent two years of your life yeah so i knew i didn't want to do that like that's you know if i wanted to make the maximum amount of money i would have done that but i was really just you know i want to just like help people you know and i figure like if i make something that's really helpful people will will like it and they'll tell their friends you know Mm -hmm. and so that was really the kind of objective and then when i was thinking about like you know times in my life where i really enjoyed learning you know, the time that I think I enjoyed the learning the most was when I was studying martial arts at a dojo. And that's sort of an environment I thought was really cool. You know, it's really, it was about learning to be self-driven, learning to be disciplined, learning how to like cultivate your own skills. It wasn't like, you can't just like read a book about karate or whatever and then be like, Hey, you know, on page 53, it says that you do a chop and then you spin around, you know, it's <laughs> like, you have to learn it by doing. And, you know, the only way to advance in the belts was by demonstrating, you know, that you can do the shit. So, you know, we made, so I called it Producer Dojo and we made like a belt system where you graduate in the belts. uh, It's entirely based on output, on finishing music of increasing quality levels. And then there's a record label that I curate that I'm like pretty... Anal about the curation of, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to release a bunch of crap. So, you know, if you can get good enough to get on a mixtape that gets you your red belt and then uh you know, if you can get good enough to be on one of the compilations that get official Spotify release and um, you know, distribution and are at like on the label proper, that's the brown belt, and then a solo artist EP is black belt. And then teaching is like a degree on black belt. Doing an actual collab with me that comes out is a degree, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's really just like, it's based on people actually finishing music that they can be proud of and that we can be proud of.
0: What is ninja? I've heard that term thrown around. Uh, I didn't like the term student. Okay. I wanted to get
1: rid of the term student. So all of your students are ninjas. They're all ninjas. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Because I didn't, I, th- I find like student is kind of like, uh, reductive term you know like when you think of a student driver you're like oh don't drive near them you know (laughs) right so i didn't i didn't want to use the word student um and uh there's a lot of people that are in the dojo that are very established like seal is in the dojo you know members of hieroglyphics rap crew are in the dojo Mm -hmm. um you know my friend wait
0: seal is that that guy who wrote that fucking huge pop song yeah kiss for kiss for a rose seal Wait, he's a part of the dojo. Yeah,
1: totally. I've what? been working on. I've been working on his new live show with him. Oh
0: my god, yeah, that's sick.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there's lots of there's lots of like really high level people in the dojo, and then um, every month we do these mixtapes where we have different curators. Mad Zach is curating the current mixtape, nice. um, and I was you know, just
0: watching some of his DJ Tech Tools videos yesterday.
1: Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I love him. He just did a Dead Mouse remix that came out this week. It's pretty cool. Oh, um, cool, but. Uh, but yeah, so um, you know, we're we're having the like uh KJ Sokka is going to be doing a mixtape, Kermodee's doing a mixtape. Um, but uh it really gets people to get a chance to be doing actual work with um, you know, with people who are killing it in the industry. You know, it's not just like hypothetical classroom work. It's like, you know, real releases and you're really working with people Yeah, like it was like and someone me and, uh, you and
0: Yeah, someone on the Dojo had a track play by Bass Nectar, right?
1: Yeah. So- yeah, Unk, Unk right. is that. Uh, yeah, he's his EP is actually um coming out next. And uh today the the trip and down memory lane compilation EP went directly to number one on beatport in the so it's number one in down tempo and number two in dubstep.
0: Nice. Yeah. So it's basically so it's like a label, but also like a school slash mentorship, yeah. system. Yeah, it's like a coaching community. I try to avoid the word school, so it's because. kind of like a it's it's sort of like a community with a label attached to it.
1: Yeah, it's like a community of producers with a label, and then I, I employ a ton of musicians. Like I have about twenty musicians that that work uh, well. I me, mean, I don't know, I work under me, and a lot of them are full time now. Um, in twenty eighteen. I paid out two hundred grand in wages to musicians, and uh, I don't know what twenty nineteen is, but it's probably going to be at least double that. So uh, it's good. I'm I'm employing a lot of musicians and really helping people to to get their start in the music
0: industry. It feels good. I sleep well at night doing that. You know, it's satisfying. Yeah. yeah! And you got that crazy big warehouse to do it in, which is cool.
1: Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And then I have people come stay and train at the warehouse. Uh, we have like dormitories and stuff. And uh, there's f- like my, my studio. And then Seth Drake has a mixing and mastering studio. And then we have um, three or four satellite studios, depending on how many um, guests we have at a time. Uh, and people will come and stay and train for a week and, you know, learn mastering with Seth. Seth just did a new mastering course that we're, um, that people have been really getting a lot of, a lot of mileage out of in the dojo. It's a lot of pretty, pretty shocking before and after differences in people's mixing. He's, uh, he really, he's really good at teaching and he's, he really knows his shit. So that's pretty cool. So yeah, I've been getting in a lot of kind of more high level, uh, guests guests uh senseis to teach but uh but yeah so seth and i are living together and then there's there's three or four satellite studios and we have like a dormitory and people come stay it's
0: fun nice for people who are listening who don't know seth he w- for a long time was based nectar's as mastering engineer
1: yeah and then he also does like stuff for like the nfl and like um gucci main ti rick ross tiesto like all kinds of big clients
0: so mostly mastering, yeah. Mostly mixing and mastering. A
1: lot of them he'll do stem
0: mixes slash mastering. Yeah, I asked him to stem mix an album of mine once, and he was like, "Oh yeah, it'll be fifteen hundred dollars a track," and it was a twelve track album, so I was like, "Holy shit, it's gonna be like
1: yeah, it's uh, it's 20, worth it though." I you know, mean, he really knows know what he's doing, it. but you know what you're doing too. I yeah, think the you album ended up end. coming
0: out fine, just yeah. doing it myself. But yeah, it was yeah, it would have been like twenty something grand. I was like,
1: yeah, it's really worth it if you're like um. You know, if you're like a a vocal pop act and you want your shit on the radio, you know, he's able to get that kind of radio loudness and clarity without it sounding super stressed out and Mm. overworked.
0: Yeah, that is tough to do. It's a lot, I think, to do with knowing when to just remove entire elements and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is like kind of the point of stem mixing, I feel like, at that level, is just to be like, oh, you know, all of this shit just needs to like go. It's like an extra barrier of, Is there too much in the layer cake system sort of thing?
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the number one thing that separates um, people who are trying to make successful electronic music from people who are actually making successful electronic music is just clutter. You know, Like, like I get when you're excited about the tools and you're like, hey, look what I can do. You know, look at all this. So I'm making this sound do backflips. It's crazy. And especially like when you watch like um, you know, Andrew Huang's four producers series, you know, like those people are like flexing, mm-hmm. you know, cuz that's kind of the point of the series, right? But people who are like EDM acts that are playing shows and like, you know, hitting the tar- chart chart-topping artists, you know, they're hitting the top of the charts. A lot of the time, there's really not that much going on in those in those tracks and it's like those artists have the experience to be confident enough to let to just let the sounds do the work and not be trying to like show off and articulate the fuck out of everything and just have like as many sounds as can fit all the time, you know?
0: Yeah. I think one part of being a good artist or like one issue that I've had a lot at least, and I know a lot of people have this problem because I've worked with a lot of people at this point, is that like once you put a lot of effort into something, your brain automatically like sees that element as valuable yes. like if, if you spend like two hours making a snare you're automatically going to see that snare as more usable and a better snare to use than any other snare because you're like no there's so much you, you place so much value on it because of how much effort you yeah. put into it even though like maybe the better snare is just some crap to download, like, you know, just some random thing off splice. The first one you click might be the best one, actually.
1: Yeah, and people people have this resistance to the obvious, the resistance to the easy route, Mm -hmm. the resistance to using sample number one in a folder, the resistance to all of that. And it's like, we all have this voice in the back of our head that's just pretty much a manifestation of, like, vanity and ego that's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, that I could take that solution, but that solution was too easy. I'm not the kind of producer who does the easy thing. No, sir. <laughs> I'm a fancy producer. All of my right. music is fancy. It's all really hard. It's all really advanced. You know, not everybody's going to get it. And, you know, that's okay. But I'm just like, it just takes me months because it's just, it's just, I'm, I'm fancy. I'm a I'm fancy. Dude, like I, that.
0: I feel like I was fucking so bad at that shit up until. I was too. Yeah, I was, and up until like maybe two years ago, I was so bad at that. Like, I still do it.
1: sometimes i have to like train myself not to do it and like force myself not to do it
0: yeah and i honestly think that's part of like becoming a more mature artist and like becoming a better artist is is like knowing sometimes that like i don't know three random things from a sample pack together can can still be a great work of art oh totally totally Even, even if you made none of the elements and even barely arranged like some tipper track um on tip hop which is one of my favorite Tracks off that tip hop album. um Literally, the entire drum beat for the whole time is just a loop out of an Elab hip hop pack. Really, it's like unedited. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a there's a couple. When I when I remember when I first started using Reactor, I found a a couple of the tracks
0: on Surrounded were like just basically unadulterated Reactor presets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tip is fucking really good at. I, I think he's a really good artist in that way. Like. He uses whatever it is, like, and it might not even be that complicated of a thing, but he somehow puts it together in a way that sounds insanely complicated. Yeah. And, and also... it sounds
1: insanely distinct to his artistic persona. Right. Exactly. Like you yeah. can spot a tipper track in like two seconds, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think really that should be anyone's goal as an artist is to just become authentically themselves.
0: Right. But I mean, in some way, do you think just picking things like a reactor patch that you haven't changed or a sample that you haven't changed is straying away from being yourself? Not necessarily, no. Because you made the choice to pick Yeah,
1: it? and it's also, you know, you can be like, oh, that sounds like me and recognize that it sounds like you even mm. if you
0: didn't make Right, it. like in the same way that like the first thing you click on in a sample pack could be something where you're like, oh, I would never use that. It's just like, it's not a sound I like. Yeah,
1: or like look at like Andy Warhol, for example. He'll take the Campbell's soup can and make it distinctly Andy Warhol forever. And if he didn't do that, Campbell's would have ruined that fucking soup can design ages ago. Probably have all these fucking stupid stickers on the side, like (laughs) some cartoon animal, you know? You reckon? Oh, yeah, they would have ruined that Campbell's soup can if it weren't for Andy Warhol. (laughs) For sure. You
0: You, know? You think the Campbell's soup can was a work of art?
1: No, but Andy Warhol. But like everyone else looks at it, and they're just like, whatever. It's just a soup can, and Andy Warhol looked at it and was like, "That's Andy Warhol," and he
0: made it. He made it. Andy <laughs> yeah, that's Warhol. a good point because yeah, when you do see it, you're like, oh yeah, it's that Andy Warhol thing. When really, it's like he didn't design it at all. What did he do? Did he just make it bigger? Uh he he made um uh prints where he got some of
1: his assistants to print it in different colors you know he he did color separations (laughs) and he was like yeah let's make the background fucking green in this one let's make the label fucking pink in this one you know and basically had them all next to each other in that format where you have like (laughs) repeating
0: tiles where the colors change that was it that's what he did
1: yeah and a lot yeah a lot of these great great artists like Andy Warhol he had the factory he wasn't even the one with the fucking ink in his hand
0: yeah he just like you know was just like
1: do this and he made it perfectly, Andy Warhol.
0: So, what's the, what's the equivalent of that in samples? Just like throwing it in and reversing it. Yeah, and... just
1: Tipper. Tipper using that beat loop is a perfect example. That's the yeah. whole drum beat. Like there, there are times when Tipper will spend like a month programming one drum kit, and there are times mm. when he uses a loop from a sample pack.
0: Right? Wasn't there also a thing you said where you you use the Kyma, which is like a DSP system, and you said there was a preset in there that was literally just the window like a voice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a pre- preset
1: in Kima that's the the window licker voice. I always it, thought that was it's basically where the volume is controlling the formant. So there's this formant shifting because I know I know FX Twin used Kima, yeah, and um, yeah, I found fa- I found this uh, like basically the formant shift because every formant shifter has a very distinct character to it. Like the one mm. in Manipulator is going to sound different than the one in Pitch Wheel is going to sound different than the one in Little Altar Boy. You know, they all have a very distinct character. Yeah, but in Kima. The format shifter, because that was also that was one of the first like really really advanced sound design systems, uh, way back in the '90s. You know, uh, when you, you computers were just not powerful enough to do it, uh, the Kima system was like its own computer that's like a separate outboard computer that just runs this like modular. Uh, environment where it's like a software modular like reactor is. And, and it's all written in Comic Sans. Yeah. And everything was in Comic Sans, which is what made me eventually, I, I studied graphic design in school and Comic Sans. I just,
0: I can't Can hang. You also study philosophy? Yeah, I did. I did psychology and philosophy and then I did graphic design. Crazy. Did Did you study under Jordan Peterson? Yes, I did study under Jordan Peterson. So you Peterson. actually met Jordan Peterson? Yeah, totally. In office yeah. hours. Uh,
1: I would I'd hang out with him and stuff. And then uh, one of my other uh, professors was the head of the Communist Party of Canada and I, I used to go get drunk with him and he was like this 80-year-old dude who would just get drunk and talk about talk about the, the the bourgeoisie and the plight of the worker. It was uh, it was pretty great. But yeah, Jordan Peterson was uh was he was a great professor, man. I did his maps
0: of meaning course way back before he was uh famous or controversial. Mm-hmm. But uh Yeah, what yeah. what did he get controversial for? It was like not uh deciding not to call a trans person by their pronoun well no he was
1: saying that that it that it's he wasn't saying that you shouldn't call trans people by their pronouns of choice he was saying that it's a slippery slope when you start legislating that
0: uh like in the government
1: yeah that, that basically the university of toronto was saying that if if someone wanted to be identified by any pronoun, like 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 let's say they wanted to use they or, you know, they wanted to switch from a he to a she or whatever, that if you were a professor and like let's say you you'd known them for three years as a she and then they were a he and you messed up, that there would be like legal penalties for that. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, so that was the point. He was not like he was not like anti-trans or anything. He was just like it's kinda of like once you have Because like, let's say you say fuck in a classroom, that's not legally punishable, right? But they were basically saying that, you know, because I think like, let's say you were pointedly, like, let's say that you had a student who had changed genders and you wanted to be an asshole and call them by the other gender all the time to prove a point, to be a petty dick. Well, that, you know, could maybe constitute harassment Mm -hmm. and that would be covered under harassments. Right, right. Whereas if you just fuck it up once, yeah, the, you know, he was saying that that's like ends up a, on a list or something. Yeah, that that's that that's a slippery slope. Was basically the point he was trying to make, but the subtlety of that point kind of escaped a lot of people. And then, th- deeply, unfortunately, there are all these Nazis and stuff that basically latched on to him, and he became this kind of like alt right poster boy, even though. His whole course is about how fucking Nazis are terrible. Like his whole maps and meaning course is about how you know um, the extreme left and the extreme right both descend into authoritarianism and uh, abuse of human rights, and how both the extreme left and the extreme right are to be avoided, and that a healthy society you need to have both the left and the right sides of the political spectrum to be able to drive social progress, because, you know, let's say you have only the rule following right, things descend into authoritarianism, and they become so rigid that society can't adapt to the inevitability of change. But if you have people who are only into change, then you know, it's really hard for them to make any kind of decisions and they all end up fighting each other. And that's, that's yeah, like yeah, a big problem sense. with like, like the right is always united in rigidity and the left is always divided against itself. And like, you know, like, I mean, even like, you know, like the different types of gay people don't like each other, the different types of deaf people don't like each other. Yeah. You know, there's just like, it's, it's really hard to have a diverse group that's into change that doesn't descend into fucking arguing and it's, you know, it's hard to run a business that way. It's hard to run society that way. Now I'm definitely very much on the the left side of the political spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not big on rule following. Uh, I'm not big on rigidity. Uh, I'm definitely big on diversity on human rights and on, um, you know, on providing those that are less fortunate in society with a means to better themselves and, and escape from poverty and discrimination. And, you know, my wife is a refugee. I'm an immigrant, you know, like, I'm definitely very much on the left side of the spectrum. But at the same time, I can recognize the utility of having people who just put their blinders on, keep their eyes on the road and
0: get things done. You know, like, you need to have both of those Speaking of left side of the spectrum, this reminds me of something I wanted to talk about—the Kill Bill Gates thing. <laughs> because I like, suppose
1: we could talk about this in the podcast.
0: Yeah, we might as well. Yeah. So w- w- I guess for those listening, um, you, myself, and Kill smith now oh, fuck man it's like confusing me mentally now to even think about all of our names because they've like come together in-
1: okay so so basically bill so, and
0: i have an act yeah the
1: mr bill that Gates that started out by n- neither of us naming it or starting this band we were playing right at Bisco and Bisco likes to have special collab sets.
0: Yeah, like the, the liquid snails set as well.
1: Yeah. And you was... know, like, like there's always, it's just like a jam band kind of thing, you know, where it'll be like, like gigantic like disco... stream biscuits yeah, or whatever, yeah. you know, and it's just these like ridiculous fucking, like, uh, you know, like leftover sauce or whatever. It just gets like (laughs) ridiculous, right? So anyway, they had asked us if we were down to do a collab set kind of separately. And we're both like, yeah, fuck, sure. You know, we got tracks together. We're friends. And then they just went ahead and printed Mr. Bill Gates on the flyer, Mm -hmm. which just caused this volcanic eruption of interest. And all these promoters were giving us crazy, they were like, we must have Mr. Bill Gates, just like, people just beating our door down to to, to put these shows. We're like, okay, well, I guess we're in a band now that neither of us started or named. So fuck here we are you know Mm -hmm. and it's been great and i'm i'm into it i'm really
0: enjoying it it's been a lot of fun uh it's it's like i mean it was the same as the kill bill thing like i did a show for uh max kipperman at the black box and kill smith was also on that show and he was like oh we could do like a kill bill thing and then me and chris were like yeah sure let's do it and then it again it's like it was neither chris or my idea it just like happened via a promoter and then now it's just happening and I guess the same with the Kill Gates thing.
1: Yeah, well, and so then, that, that happened after. But I, ra- I yeah. so I'm I'm at the Denver airport and yeah. I run into Kill Smith and he's like, Dylan, what's up? Blah, 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 blah. We're like hanging out in the food court and talking. And he's like, Yo, man, you know what we gotta do? We gotta do a collab where it's you, me, and Bill, and we'll call it Kill Bill Gates. And I was like, <laughs> dude, we can't do that. Like, I, I it's as cute as the name is, I've I met Bill Gates. He gave me his blessing to use the name Bill Gates. He's a cool guy. A lot of people hate on Bill Gates. I've met him. I asked him uh, I asked him a bunch of questions that I probably shouldn't have asked him, and he gave me really honest answers and uh, he proved to me that he is a decent human being, and uh, you know he's like you don't see fucking Jeff Bezos trying to cure malaria or helping people with education in the third
0: world a lot of people in the tech industry i've noticed though like since hanging out with yarn plus also just i guess living in the bay now for two weeks are actually like pretty um like they're thinking about the good of the world more than you would think yeah totally like a lot of tech people they're like ah you know i don't want to work for fucking uber or something i want to or postmates you know i want to work for like you know, some company like the EFF who is doing shit. To- oh,
1: especially in the Bay Area. is full of, of, of really ideological... You know, a lot of people
0: liberal, who, like, yeah, they want to use their Cody skills for good, which is... And, and they recognize the
1: revolutionary potential of the technology to, like, really, yeah. you know, drive human progress and and uplift those that are left fortune, less fortunate and stuff. So, anyway, so I, I met Bill Gates. You know, a lot of people, they'll tell you, like, oh, yeah, you know, Bill Gates has a depopulationist agenda, you know? <laughs> and that's not that's not exactly true bill gates recognizes the pro, that overpopulation in countries that don't have the resources to take care of their people can be a problem and he recognizes that um that the you know if we were to all exist you know if if you had 7 billion people with amazon prime you know the world would fucking collapse yeah, you know false. like they can't all be at that standard of living so basically you know he's He recognizes that the reason why people have 10 kids in countries like Sierra Leone is that the chances of those kids making it to adulthood and being able to support their parents are really, really slim. So they're hedging their bets, you know? And uh, statistically, if you uh, increase the standard of living um, by... Getting rid of preventable diseases by get, you know supporting uh, the rights of women, uh, by being able to provide proper education and opportunities, mm-hmm. that the birth rate in these countries goes way down, and that people are just generally a lot happier. So he's really put his energy in terms of the Gates Foundation into um, combating overpopulation through bettering the actual quality of life in the third world. So, you know, a lot of people, like if you go on these conspiracy message boards or whatever, they think like Bill Gates is fucking, you know, got some vaccination program that's like fucking sterilizing people and they're going to unleash diseases that eradicate 80% of the population for the Illuminati and all this fucking nonsense. And that's totally not what he's about. You know, like I had the conversation with him. He was kind of drunk. And he was like, he's just speaking really honestly. And, you know, he's really put his money where his mouth is with the, the Gates Foundation and with the work that him and his wife do. And I totally respect him. So, um, you know, in addition to the fact that it would be like, I just don't think it, like if I were Bill Gates and I saw these posters that said, kill Bill Gates on them, I'd be sad, you know, <laughs> like I would be sad. And it would bum him out. He's like, you know, as much as he's a...
0: I think uh, he's smart enough to understand what it is. Though, like, you, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, here's I, the thing. Do you think Bill Gates, like, knows excision? No, but
1: he, you know, I came across... I ended up meeting him because of the name. And I'm sure if we started printing Kill Bill Gates on things, it would set off some (laughs) Google alert that went to one of his assistants who's checking out all the Google alerts when news stories come up about him. And they'd be like, hey, what's with all these posters everywhere that say Kill Bill Gates? Maybe we should get the legal team on that. And then you would still be Mr. Bill, and Kill Smith would still be
0: Kill Smith, but Ill Gates would be no more. I don't know if that would be the case. I think it would be still fine. It's not a chance I'm willing to take. I think it would be a cease and desist situation where they are just like just stop doing the kill Bill Gates thing. No, but I'm, I would potentially lose my ill gates as well. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I guess when you when you put it like that, that's uh, fair. Yeah, but I don't know. And I, was, and
1: I just I just wouldn't want to do that to him. He's uh, like he's yeah. rich, but he's not an asshole.
0: Totally. I was thinking about this last night, and I was like, Dylan has a song. That says, fuck Donald Trump, fuck Donald Trump, fuck Donald Trump, fuck Donald Trump, like 17 times in a row. Yes. But you won't say kill Bill Gates.
1: Yeah. Well, criticizing the president is different.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a popular thing to do.
1: Yeah. And, and it's also, I, it's not my song. It's a remix.
0: True. Yeah. And also the president is. A and dude. also, you know, fuck Donald Trump. That's true. Honestly,
1: just <laughs> fuck that guy. Oh man! I went into sixty-three Canadians are dead this week because of that fucking guy and his brinksmanship. Really? Yeah. He well, because he fucking brought us to the brink of war with Iran during the fucking attack when Iran was launching missiles. They mistook a passenger plane full of Canadians trying to flee. It was a passenger plane that was flying from Tehran to Kiev on their way to Canada. And it had 63 Canadians on it. The Iranian military mistook it because they weren't supposed to fly. And I guess some wires got crossed and they were flying and they fucking shot it out of the air. Killed, killed 63 Canadians. That would Goodness. not have happened if Donald Trump hadn't been fucking trying to distract us from his impeachment with this fucking nonsense, like fucking no even, not even any fucking evidence that the guy was planning attacks. There's oh, not geez. even any evidence and he fucking killed 63 of my countrymen. So fuck that guy. For that and many other reasons. Fuck that guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of reasons to fuck him. I was in a, a wing store yesterday in San Francisco. Do you, how, how familiar are you with like the food places in San Francisco?
1: Oh, I lived there for six years, man. Do you know
0: the place in, um? it might be in Nob Hill, potentially, called Hot Panko and Wings or something? No, that sounds great, though. It was fucking sweet. So it's like this little spot that looks like it's run by two Korean ladies. And uh, they just do wings, and literally the walls are just covered in, like, fuck Donald Trump stuff. Hey, good for them.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an easy sell in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: an easy sell. <laughs> wings and fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Bay is pretty cool. I've been enjoying it. I like, um, one thing I've noticed there is everyone there is always busy and tired. Yeah, well, the, the price of
1: everything is shocking. Yeah. Unless, unless you're a fucking independently wealthy weed person weed person yeah there's a, the party scene in the bay is filled with people who are just like they grew a bunch of weed and then just like retired and all they do is party so when i lived in the bay we'd always have these just like raging after parties that went on for three days with all these people in the weed industry <laughs> hanging out at our house we'd have to like kick them out and shit
0: damn yeah so um yeah i've noticed everyone there is just kind of like at least the people i've been around are generally pretty stressed and tired yeah the time. But it's cool. I like the fact that I can. Uh, it's very small. I've noticed yeah. much smaller than I thought it was. Yeah, you can. You don't need a fucking car, really. No, I've anything. just been like e-biking everywhere. It's been pretty cool. Yeah, I really loved the. Uh, I really loved living there. It was
1: great. But all my
0: artist friends moved away. Yeah, it's hard to live there as an artist. Like I have to live with. Well, I don't have to, but I am living with three other people, and I'm still paying like more than I was paying in Denver. Yeah,
1: but that house is so banging, man. It's a good house. And it's yeah. so cool, and you're like. Right in the, like, fucking super cool part of town. Yeah, Polk Street is sweet. Yeah. It's
0: cool. There's a lot of restaurants there that are nice. And the house yeah. has a sauna, which is sick.
1: Yeah, the sauna's <laughs> great. And then you're, like, uh, you can go up to, like, Coit Tower and, like, Telegraph Hill. There's, like, fucking wild parrots and shit. It's so cool.
0: I haven't been there. What is that?
1: They're basically, I guess, some people... Released a bunch of parrots and parrots live for like 6,000 years or whatever. So, what they, they live like live? over 100 years, parrot?
0: Jesus Christ,
1: yeah. So, um, there's all these wild parrots that live on Telegraph Hill. There's like flocks of wild parrots Whoa. there.
0: It's really cool. Let's go check it out.
1: I mean, they're an invasive species, and I'm sure it's like terrible for ecological reasons and stuff, but it's really <laughs> magic and romantic
0: and cool, all right? Dude, the fucking hills there are insane though. Like, I, um, yeah, you'll get in
1: shape just walking
0: around. Yeah, I live on top of a hill, and I went down to a the wharf like i don't know where all the water is and shit yesterday or the day before and walking back up the hill is insane yeah you'll break a sweat sometimes just walking yeah, yeah just walking around
1: and there's like no fashionable way to walk down like a 40 50 percent grade hill Like no, no. there's just you see people in their fucking like high heels and shit trying to do it it's so funny what's yeah. that
0: yeah you know that road with like the it's like crazy winding. Oh,
1: oh god what is that thing called uh Lombard Street.
0: Yeah, and then you know that hill there on Hyde Street or whatever. Yeah, I walked all the way down that and then all the way back up. That. Yeah, you got
1: to go to Chinatown too. Chinatown in San Francisco is amazing. I always used to hang out in Chinatown. Nice. And I had this friend who like uh, he lived in this old derelict like movie theater where they used to premiere Bruce Lee movies and stuff. And he had this like after hours speakeasy where he'd have like jazz bands and like all night after hours uh, parties. That and shit. It was sweet. so cool. It's like something out of a comic book. But uh, he doesn't do that anymore. He moved. Right. So I guess it's okay to talk about as raging,
0: <laughs> raging illegal after hours parties, but they're they're awesome. Seems like there's a lot of that in San Francisco, like these weird little pockets of after party stuff. Yeah, totally.
1: It's it's expensive and there's it's not what it used to be, but it's still pretty fucking cool.
0: Yeah, I think honestly I'll probably be there for maybe like a couple of years at most and then i'm pretty sure i'm gonna go to la yeah let me know when you're ready man there's a a room with your name on it at the dojo yeah i would love to come and move there actually yeah i'll probably do that in like a year or two um dude i would definitely do san francisco for a bit it's such a fucking awesome place. yeah yeah. i feel like chris is so rad i love him yeah yeah living with chris is cool yeah, we can't talk about what he's doing at the moment, unfortunately. No, but he works at Dave Smith Instruments, making all the coolest
1: synthesizers and very cool uh, synthesizers. He's he's friends with uh, all kinds of cool people, like FKA Twigs and Aphex Twin. Yeah, <laughs> and he, are uh, uh, a couple of years ago, invited me to because Aphex Twin owed him some favors because mm-hmm. of secret features that he built into the synthesizer for him. So Chris was like, hey, I'm going to call in the favor. Can you bring me and my crew into Fuji Rock Festival with you on your guest list? And Apex Twin was like, fucking sure. <laughs> and we uh, hung out with Apex Twin for a weekend. And I have a guest pass for Fuji Rock that says Apex Twin on it. Nice. And we got to hang out with Apex Twin for a weekend. It was the greatest <laughs> ex-
0: fucking weekend of my life. That's awesome. So awesome. Dude, so one thing you said earlier about like the parrots and... um. How they live for six thousand years? No, a hundred, a hundred or more. Like yeah, for some reason, it reminded me of this YouTube video I watched last night that kept me awake for like way too long. Um, about a giant, like what it would be like if a giant asteroid hit the Earth.
1: Oh yeah, um, yeah, it'd be terrible.
0: Yeah. So apparently, an asteroid that's fifteen kilometers long, or like like a big fifteen-kilometer squared brick, basically, which is fucking huge. If that hit the Earth. Traveling, for fifty thousand miles a second? Yeah, things or,
1: go really fast in space. Yeah,
0: like however fast it is, if it hit the Earth, it would send the Earth into a three-year winter. Yeah, and well, first of all, it would be the equivalent of um whatever the the f- bigger bomb was that hit Japan was the Fat Boy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, some whatever some that really is. It would be like hundreds... inappropriately cute name. Yeah, yeah, it would be like hundred billion times more. Oh powerful yeah, it'd be than terrible. That. And then it would uh scatter ash and shit like everywhere if it hit in the middle of the united states it would set the entire continent on fire yeah and then send the earth into a three-year winter and then send the earth into a three-year insane yeah pretty
1: much if you're not bacteria you're toast
0: yeah pretty much
1: there's also the uh the yellowstone caldera that's pretty scary do you know about that no okay so um a caldera is when you have like a lot of volcanoes kind of merging into a super volcano. And um
0: sounds like some shit that would happen on Hawaii or something.
1: Yeah, well Hawaii, yeah, Hawaii they kind of are kind of it's it's not as bad. There's not like a super volcano there. But there's one there's one under Yellowstone Park. Oh, and basically when that explodes, pretty much like same thing, like nuclear winter. Giant ash cloud. Um, basically, anything on the U.S. continent that is east of
0: Yellowstone is like just dead. Like just, just like create tsunamis and shit.
1: Uh, well, it, it's it's too far inland. Wait, for that. east of Yellowstone, not west. East of Yellowstone, yeah, because the the winds go west to east. Huh. But basically, like the west coast would be like still pretty fucked. Like, because all life on Earth would be pretty fucked. Yeah. But yeah. not as fucked as if you're in the direct plume. Uh, of it, but uh, like if
0: you lived in Utah or something
1: yeah, if you live in Utah or something like basically everybody in Utah is just completely Jeez. dead, like and mm-hmm. it's uh yeah it 's really terrible, and there it's it 's overdue to erupt, so every time there 's like some earthquake clusters or volcanic activity in Yellowstone, people start getting all sweaty palmed about it, but uh but yeah, we really need to um uh, get some space colonies happening, man yeah. <laughs> uh you know I think, I, I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson who said that meteors are are the universe's way of saying, hey, how's that space program coming?
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe, do you think um, societies keep getting somewhat close and then just being like, ah, fuck it, and then a meteor hits again or something?
1: Uh, I mean, it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. And I I think, um, uh, I remember reading that scientists think that Venus was at one point a rogue planet and smashed into the Earth. Uh, creating the Pacific ocean and the moon broke off what? Of the earth from a fucking collision with Venus.
0: How would it break off in such a nice spherical way? Well, the
1: gravity over time compressed it down or something. That's I, that's what it's one theory.
0: I feel like that didn't happen. That seems intense.
1: It does seem pretty intense, but this was like before <laughs> life on earth had evolved.
0: Yeah. True. Yeah. I suppose like space is pretty fucking weird and, Shit like that probably happens actually all the time. Yeah. Like a giant rock hitting another rock and There's times when galaxies collide. That so what crazy. I've heard is if two galaxies collide, almost nothing would happen because space is so empty that there's like... Well, quiet. they have the supermassive black holes at the center of the galaxy. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. But I heard... I, I don't know. I can't remember where I heard it and if it's legit, but I heard that because space is so empty, at least like if that supermassive black hole wasn't there or something that... Pretty much nothing would hit anything. Or oh, there's like yeah. a high, there's there's a pretty high chance that nothing would hit anything because of how much space, how much empty space there is. Yeah, most of matter is empty space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like it's almost nothing hitting almost nothing. Like if it weren't for <laughs> the fields around your body, you could probably walk through a wall. How big do you think something would have to be to start sucking you towards it? I mean the super I mean, massive black hole at the center of our like, Well the, the Earth does it. Like I mean you try and yeah, jump earth does it. You try and jump off the earth and it sucks you back down with yeah. gravity. Like what do you think the smallest possible object is of mass? I
1: think I think anything with mass exerts
0: gravity. Yeah, but I mean Which
1: means that fat people are quite attractive.
0: Yeah, yeah. To to extremely small things. Yeah,
1: to extremely small things. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd have to, you'd have to be like, I think d- 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 it that have to be really, really large for it to be measurable, you mm. know, but I'm pretty sure
0: there's like anything with mass exerts some gravity. I'm pretty sure. I wonder if humans have ever like come close to building anything that's like so massive that has so much mass that it's like started to fuck with the gravity of the earth or something.
1: I mean, I think like, didn't they, isn't there some way of creating black holes with like lasers crushing crushing like tons of lasers together uh
0: i think so um i think the large hadron collider is or cern or whatever they call it is supposed to shoot particles around a football sized field ring and bang them into each other to try and replicate the big bang yeah but I don't you
1: know, know you know who's uh um uh an atom smasher who is moon splatter my friend jack from the dojo ah. he worked at um he worked at um, fuck. What was the what's the one called Fermi Lab? He worked at Fermi Lab, smashing atoms and stuff. Huh? So he would know this stuff. You could you should have him on the show sometime. Yeah, he's really smart, see. and he's like an actual atom smasher. It'd definitely be probably a lot more like right now. There's probably someone who knows something about science who's <laughs> listening to this and is just palming their fucking head, going like, "What is going on, guys?" But that's the thing. It's like when when like people have this effect where you know, like let's say you're good at music or like you're an actor or something, people just start asking you medical advice. So just assume, like people will ask me medical advice at shows sometimes. I'm really? like, why are you asking me medical advice? I'm a fucking DJ. Like, I don't know this at all. Or like when we when we met Apex Twin, one of my friends, uh, my friend Sid, who actually met him at our uh, Meow Wolf show. Mm-hmm. And he's like an actual hardcore biologist where the, the Japanese government.
0: Oh, Sidney. Sid Cox. Dude, yeah. So he lives in the Bay too.
1: Yeah, so he yeah. actually, uh, like uh, at yeah, well, one point when he was living in Japan, the Japanese government flew him to Japan to work on a new type of triple helix DNA that they're trying to make so that they could have artificial life forms that had no chance of mating with traditional double helix DNA life forms. So that's his fucking job. Like, he's crazy. a serious scientist. They, so so they like head headhunted like him and
0: flew him to Japan to do this. He's like a biohacker then? Or yeah,
1: what? basically. And anyway, so we're going to meet Apex Twin, and he brings this whole fucking binder full of this his like like crazy advanced biological science that you would need to be like a the, the cutting edge of your very field to to know. And he like shows it to to, to Richard, like the Apex Twin, and he's like showing it to him and stuff. And, and and of course, Apex Twin's like not a biologist, yeah. So he's just like, "Cool, man," you know. <laughs> like <laughs> we leave it. Sid's like. Do you think he was impressed? Do you think I'm like?
0: How the fuck is he supposed to know about
1: any of this? Like, what? You're a fucking genius. Not everybody knows this, Sid. But that's yeah, just like, like
0: that's this like halo effect mm. that that people get. Maybe it's just like an authority figure effect. You know, like if you're the the person who everyone's like looking up to at the event or something. Yeah, people was, look to you as like an authority of someone who knows something or whatever. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty hilarious.
1: It's really cute though. It's really cute. <laughs>
0: That's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. He's a nice, nice guy. I like. Oh, him. I
1: love Sid. Sid's yeah. one of my favorite friends. His wife Satoko is very cool too. Yeah,
0: they're both really cool.
1: Yeah, he's one of my absolute favorite friends. Yeah, he's awesome. That whole false prophet crew is just like gold medal.
0: The Langton crew as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been pulling for us to get uh, to go do the Mister Bill Gates thing at Priceless this year. I've been extending be the tentacles sick. and stuff. Yeah, I think it's yeah. got to happen, man. Priceless
0: Pric- is the best festival. I love that shit. Yeah. So I don't know. I've been three times and a lot of people say like, Oh yeah, man, it's like the best festival there is sort of thing. Um, I don't I don't think I fully understand it. Or maybe I just don't know enough. Well, it's people. not
1: like a raging, like, it's not like pack dance floors, no, like
0: fucking. It's the opposite of that. Yeah,
1: it's the opposite of that. It's like, you know, you go there to to meet the people and right, like hang yeah. out with all these crazy
0: scientists and shit. And like, yeah, that's what it seems good for. If you want to go talk to a bunch of like really smart people. Who are on psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like climb into a giant ball pit with a bunch of PhD people. Right. Yeah. yeah it's great. And the whole festival has like some giant puzzle you need to solve and shit.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs>
0: it's so
1: fun, and and you can bring your kids.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I really want to bring Asha, which is uh, yeah. Fun. Oh man, I'd be super down to do the weekend of Priceless and get a cabin and shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm uh, I'm 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 pulling for it. But uh, I, lately, they're all into like this jazz stage now. Mm-hmm. And like they have this stage where there's all these like acoustic jazz bands
0: that that play and it's like a speakeasy out in the woods. It's really cool. That sounds cool. So one thing I realized about Priceless is I've only ever explored like 10% of it.
1: Yeah, it's big and it goes off into the woods and there's all these yeah.
0: installations everywhere. It's That's really, really what cool. I've heard. It just keeps going for a long time and I've never like fully walked the whole thing. Yeah. 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 I'm excited to do Burning Man this year too.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to try and do it too.
0: Yeah, I've never done it, so I'm going to... Yeah, Yeah, it's great.
1: i got to probably stay with the kids' camp, though, Mm because I think I'm going to bring Asha. Because apparently the kids' camp is, like, really legit.
0: Yeah, nice. Yeah, I imagine most things at Burning Man are pretty legit at this point. Yeah. Seems pretty well established. Yeah, I think I I would feel more comfortable having her with me than having, like, a babysitter. Uh, You mean, like, having a babysitter in the city and then you go to Burning Man? Yeah, I think I'd feel more comfortable having her with me. And she'd just be less weirded out by it. Like yeah. when you're a kid, you want to know where your mom and dad are, you know? Yeah,
1: but she's just she's just such a happy baby, man. It's awesome. And,
0: yeah, you left her with me a few times and she was not stoked.
1: Yeah, she's she's, she's you know I think you're just nervous. <laughs> I was nervous. Yeah,
0: she seemed way more
1: nervous. Well, yeah, she's she's yeah she's pretty happy, man. And nice. she's in, she's in the waving face now, which is the best. I love a waving baby. She waves at everyone. Yeah, she waves at everybody and then just has this like adorable gummy smile and laughs. <laughs> And I figured out I figured out like three or four different ways that make her laugh pretty much every time. So it's really good. I've been getting samples and shit. what's uh, what's the number one way? The to number make her one laugh? is when you pretend you're going to eat her, <laughs> and you go like, "I'm going to eat you, I'm going to eat you." It's the anticipation. The nice. anticipation really gets her going crazy, and then you uh, then you go uh, pretend that you're eating her stomach and go, "I'm not, I'm not, I'm and she nice. just laughs and laughs. It's the best. It's <laughs> so cute.
0: Imagine if that was like uh so like a stand-up comedian's job is to make people laugh right do you think a stand-up comedian for babies (laughs) is just gonna be like a guy who who's pretending to eat the entire audience i think like clowns are like a stand-up comedian for babies basically yeah that's true you know do you think it's harder to be a clown or a stand-up comedian it's probably more depressing to be a clown i feel like clowns are the edm dj and idm djs are like the stand-up comedian you ever watch that show Baskets? Uh, with Zach, that, Galifianakis? Yeah, for Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, and he like lives in. Uh, oh, he amazing. lives in Bakersfield or whatever. Yeah. Oh, so good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I'd imagine being a clown stuff, but I I used to I used to roll with some clown crews actually when we were in um, high school. Uh, I went to a uh, arts high school, and uh, some of our best friends had this like wild like four adults clown crew, and. They were all really, really like next level creative geniuses, and every one of them had like their demons, man. Like it was, it was
0: rough. I feel like that about actors I meet in L.A. too. Like a, a lot of Uber drivers you get in L.A. are like aspiring actors, or yeah, or music producers or rappers. Yeah, I f- I feel like a lot of people that I meet in L.A. who are like trying to make it or whatever, they always seem like a little bit cracked. Yeah in some weird way. Well,
1: usually like if you want fame for its own sake, Mm -hmm. it's filling a hole.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, that's, uh, I think wanting to be at the top of your field and wanting to be famous are two different things.
0: And also just wanting to do the thing in the field because you find it enjoyable. Like, I think I was pretty much in that. I mean, I think I'm mostly in that ballpark for music. Like, I think if I, if there was no money to be made in music and nobody listened to music, I think I would still make it. Yeah, me like I mean, Yeah, I don't think I would do some other thing. I mean, but then again, at the same time, I don't think I'm like a strong enough person at this point or really ever have been to just make music purely for myself either. That's why I was so impressed with um, Henry
1: Darger. You know about that artist, no. Henry Darger? So he, there's this like um, kind of portion of the visual arts world that's known as outsider art. Mm-hmm. And it's basically where... Um, people just have nothing to do with the rest of the art world whatsoever. And there's this guy, Henry Darger, who was like um, a janitor at a Catholic school. And he was really like, had really, like really, really introverted to the point where like, you know, like he just couldn't have a conversation with anybody. And he had this whole world where he created like, like I think the longest book ever written And then illustrated it with these like huge, fantastic illustrations of this like fantasy world where there are these like you know innocent uh, young girls called the Vivian girls in this like world of magic and demons. And they're like, and he just these huge illustrations that would take like hundreds and hundreds of hours in this book. There's just like thousands of pages. and He just like never showed it to anybody, and he didn't have any relatives or anything. So it was only after his death that they like discovered that. His apartment was like super like class five hoarder levels full of just this insane body of artwork. Um, and then it became like, uh, he became like a post celebrity. And, um, you know, there's all these art exhibitions and this uh, really fantastic documentary called, uh, I think it's called The Realms of the Unreal, uh, where they animated a lot of his uh, artwork and stuff. And it's just like, really just incredible to see like the solutions that he came up with. Cause he's like completely untrained artist, no connection with the art world, not doing it for anyone else whatsoever. And just like consumed and driven at this level that is just like, you know, like even the best commercial artists would be, it would be hard pressed to match his level of dedication. And uh, yeah, it's just really wild, but yeah, outsider artists, I always have like extra respect for outsider artists.
0: Yeah. There's some people like that in the music world too, I feel like, especially in like the noise music scene and stuff like yeah. that, where they just literally make heinous amounts of this weird fucked up content and they know like no one's going to really enjoy it uh, other than maybe people who are pretending to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, What do you think about noise music? Do you- oh,
1: I love noise music. I used to be really into noise music. Like I saw Merzbow yeah. live and stuff.
0: and is like the, yeah, like the pop Guy of the noise world or something. Well, he was kind of like the OG. Like he was like the most
1: famous noise artist. Yeah, but yeah, he had like um, I can't really he was like have... cooking his skin with like pickups in his skin. Yeah. And he could like smell his skin burning. It was a pretty wild show. At that,
0: at that point, it's like performance art. Yeah, like, there's basically. this dude in Sydney called Justice Yeldum and he plays a giant bit of glass with a contact mic on it, and then he has a belt with guitar effects on the belt, and he's just like blowing on the glass and um like biting it and like hitting it on his head and then like the end of the show basically is him like breaking it over his head and like he always ends up bloody and shit yeah yeah i I mean it's definitely fun as a show but
1: it's kind of hard to listen to it's noise music. Enjoyable yeah to it's not really to...
0: listening music i like drone music though i listen to a lot of drone music yeah ambient's great like tim hecker is, is really nice i listen to that
1: quite a lot yeah and that that drone zone station on soma fm I would often just have that running like in my bathroom and stuff like I had this bathroom with just like an iPod running drone zone 24 hours a day it was fantastic nice. but since I started live streaming I I can't have these things like streaming
0: <laughs> because it would just be like in the background
1: yeah it just gobbles home. up the connection uh true yeah like if Seth is doing a class or something we don't uh, we don't go on Netflix or anything
0: mm yeah, right. Yeah. So a, a lot of the classes that you guys do online then?
1: Yeah, a lot of them are online. I have one that I do called the weekly download where every week I cover a different subject and we're uh, 160 different subjects deep. Damn. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll have a live stream where people can uh, ask questions. So right now I'm working my way through a sound design series where every, uh, every week I'll do a different sound. So I did like a whole week on kicks, a whole week on snares, a whole week on hi-hats, a whole week on, um, you know, putting together drum kits, a whole week on subs, a whole week on uh, subtractive, well, I'm doing probably two weeks on subtractive synthesis, etc. So that's been kind of the backbone. So I want to have basically reference videos for making every single different type of sound. Uh, And then there's, there's mixing videos and then one's on running your business and like, and and people request subjects and stuff too. So that's like a good deal of the material in the dojo is that weekly download class. And then I do track feedback for all of my elite ninjas and the people who are like submitting for the label. I do like live track feedback for them. Uh, And then um, I'm actually setting it up where I'll show you this new system, but basically with Vimeo and OBS (laughs) um i was switching this streaming over to vimeo and obs it's like really really nice um yeah i usually
0: use obs for streaming yeah and then we're
1: um like because i i got really really upset when that kid cut our track out of the virtual riot collab live stream and was hosting it that was really upsetting to me that someone would Uh, oh wait did you play it on the weekly
0: download or something
1: no no he cut it out of the live stream like on my uh, YouTube live stream oh because YouTube we were, or twitch we were or whatever streaming. because we were working on it at one oh, point right and after he cut it out and started hosting it it really made me sad because I'm like you know I realized that like you know if I'm working on anything that I'm planning to release people can cut it out and leak it and I was kind of just trusting people not to do that you know but um you know that that was really kind of disheartening to me so um next week I'm starting streaming again but it's gonna be all
0: private. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I've never had anyone do that with my music really. Actually, I had um the one time I had somebody rip something from a stream. It was when I was working on the dead mouse club.
1: Yes. Yeah, so as soon as you got like, yeah. like if you
0: do anything big, people yeah. will jack
1: your shit. You yeah. know, when we were working on that virtual riot thing, they jacked our shit. And I, th- I think that was probably a fact because it was uh, Valentin who showed me it. So I think that might have been a factor in why, um you know, why his name got pulled off the track.
0: Oh, really? Because of... uh, Should we talk about that? Fuck it, might as well, now that I've said it. Yeah, so we wrote a track with Virtual Riot and then his manager basically wouldn't let us have his name on the track because... And I kind of understand it. I mean, like, when you're at that level of dubstep, you kind of want to just be like doing... You want to be like punching up, I feel like.
1: Yeah, that was... It was manager said, you always punch up, you never punch down. Yeah. And then they said that they were... There to make
0: money, not to make friends. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty
1: fucking cold.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cold. So his name, he'll get a riding credit on the track, basically, and he'll get money from it, but his name won't. I don't
1: don't hold it against him personally, but I I do think that was a bit of a
0: bit of a dick move. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I don't know. He trusts his manager. Yeah, I don't hold it against him personally. Yeah, but it's a bit of a bummer. Yeah. But also, um, yeah, he's getting pretty big now. Like, he just put out that EP with all of those tunes that we've been playing in the set, like "Self Checkout" and "Hysteria" and stuff. Dude, those tunes are fantastic. They're really good, and yeah, all of them on Disciple are getting fucking like half a million plays. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I you know, it's all all fair and love and bro step, as they yeah, say. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I do. Uh, I do think it's a little weird because I mean. Then again, like I've been doing this shit for a fucking long time, like longer than Valentin. And I'm not as big as him, so maybe there's a you know, some point to the way that they run their system.
1: Well, and you just you can't get butthurt about this shit. Like I think so much of being able to have any sort of a longevity in any sort of a creative field is just having the strength of character to just have your ego get stepped on again and again and again and get rejected and dissed and fucking hated on and whatever and just be like, you know what? That's just your
0: opinion, whatever. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Big Lebowski styles. Yeah. It's like, that's just like your opinion, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you just got, you got to be like, if you you get bent out of shape about that shit, like you lose and that's it. No one else loses. You lose when you get bent out of
0: shape. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, so it's just like whatever. Just fuck it. Move on. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, should we go to the venue and play this show? Yeah,
1: I suppose we should. I suppose we should. Yep. I'm pretty uh pretty excited for um Shaky and Alexander to open up. That's very exciting. They're awesome, awesome artists. And you know, we just mobbed the sushi restaurant. There's like 20 of us for the sushi dinner, so. <laughs>
0: yeah, I feel like the dojo dinners are always like that. It's yeah, they're pretty fun. It's a large then, amount of people eating sushi.
1: Yeah, and then we got, a, we got a good
0: amount of ticket sales.
1: And our last show at Meow Wolf, I feel really, you know, very strongly about the, the set was great, you know. Yeah, so I felt like it went well. Yeah, I think that was our best set so far. So, so yeah, going to go knock them dead. Sick. Alright, so um, lots of love everybody. Um, Watch out for uh, I got a bunch of new music. I'm actually uh, I got a bunch of music that I made that was good enough that I decided I needed to get a real manager before I put it out. So I got a real manager and I've been just uh, tightening up the ship and getting ready to release it but I got um, like a new album and a bunch of new EPs and stuff and a remix EP with Gucci Mane and Another EP with Hieroglyphics and some collabs with Bill and a bunch of stuff. So you can uh, check me out on social media at Music. And if you are interested in making music or you you know you just want to download a bunch of free goodies, check out the Producer Dojo at producerdojo.com. And if you want to check out the music coming out of the dojo, there's uh, the Producer Dojo SoundCloud where you can check out the music on the label or go to Beatport if you want to buy it and support us um but uh yeah i'm I'm ill gates aka dylan lane at ill gates music on social media and if you want to learn or if you're interested in production uh check out producer dojo because there's lots of there's lots of free stuff for producers too because i know how it is all right lots of love thanks thank for there, listening thank you mr bill you're yeah.
0: the best yeah thanks for coming on the podcast man
1: all right peace out all
0: right cheers Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast.